I need you to be loved. I am black. I am unique. When I come from, when I come, I come from ancient kings. From the beginning. I am black. I am unique. I come from ancient kings, queens. When you look at me, what do you see? I am black. I am proud to be. Welcome, welcome, welcome to our new listeners and to our regular listeners. Welcome to Specificity. Spell it S-P-E-C-I-F-I-C-I-T-Y, where we ask specific questions about specific topics, getting specific answers. The meaning of specificity is the state of being clearly defined or identified to be precise, exact, or distinguished. In this episode, we will be addressing the topic, the generational regression from the 1980s to 2021. Joining me today is Mike Parker, the owner and operator of Unlimited Fixers, co-owner of 24-Hour Maintenance and Repairs, and business partner of Realty of Dallas Elite. I mean, we already spoke a little bit about this week's topic, which is the generational regression from the 1980s to 2021. Um, And people might not know this initially. Uh, you're from a different generation, though, and see things with a, um, a different perspective than someone around my age, because I was born in the 90s. So let me ask you this. Uh, what year or or time period do you feel the, the mindset of the black community as a whole was at its peak? And I'll explain what I mean. When do we have our eyes set on the significant things in life, like business ownership, generational wealth, economic independence, uh, like Black Wall Street, the banks, the supermarkets, schools? like corporations and manufacturing and all that that could supply a decent living for our people and as the trend went on and a lot of jobs were canceled or lost we all really became dependent on i won't say race but other nationality to try to make ends meet and when the, the black dollar started leaving our neighborhood and our community that's when we started declining so in the 90s and the 2000s, we were really struggling trying to find ourselves and really trying to, you know, catch on to what our, you know, parents and grandparents and all that, the way they provide for the families, we're trying to replace that with today's technology, which is a really, really a difficult task for us. Let me ask you this one. What was the, the priority, like the, the culture norms and behaviors? really was to try to, you know, benefit for your, your kids and your family. And we tend to, we, we really kind of overstepped that when we start losing the family values and we start using, losing the youth. Because the youth is your key to everything. If you can bring them up in a 
great household, you know, good income, you know, family values, then the future will look bright for you. But when we start losing that, then that's when we tend to kind of start losing grip of a lot of things. I mean, how do we mend it? Get back focused as a collective. We, the, the, the best way to mend it in, in you know, the way I, I was brought up, you got to sit down and start having family gatherings, family group gatherings and stuff. You got to sit and explain the ways of life, how it used to be and how it is, how the direction it's headed into now. And if you got to sit there and you got to tell the, the younger generation, hey, you don't have to sell drugs. Hey, you don't have to rob and steal. Use your hands, you know. Uh, teach yourself a trade or learn a trade to where you can provide you know, an income in a positive and good way. And when you do that, the the number of us going to jail will decline, the number of us being killed will decline, and you you start treat you know, teaching values to the younger kids that are around you. You know, I've been blessed to be here for fifty six years. I've been part of a uh a lot of younger guys upbringing to where I preach to them about trying to keep themselves in a respectful manner to where in case a job pops up, they know your your history and they know what type of person you are, they will offer you that job. Then you can provide for your family and you can do all kind of positive things within your community. Now, my next thing is the, the black-owned establishments, businesses. Now, I'm noticing as of late... As a community, as a whole, we really don't support them the way we used to. So what do you think happened through you know, culture, legislation? What do you think happened to to change that priority where we'll go to, down the street to a different ethnicity's establishment and walk past our own? Well, the, 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 the worst thing that ever happened to us was desegregation. And I hate to say that because... When, when we were a segregated uh, community, we had to spend within ourselves. We, we had to trade with each other. And uh, I don't know what it is about my people or our people, but we think just because we go and spend our money with other races, it makes us look, you know, above our own people. And we'll sit there and pass by a black business that might be a dime or 20 cents more than what the other races' products are, and we'd rather spend with them than to spend with our own people, and and that's really bad. That's that's really sad. I'm willing to pay even a dollar more if I'm going to spend with my people, you know, to bring about community. Because the black dollar now only circulates within our community maybe two or three times. In other communities, eighteen, fifteen, or twenty times. So our money leaves our community very quick, very quick. That's why. A lot of black businesses don't survive, you know, because we're not spending with ourselves. And that's the main thing we have got to change. We, we've got to keep that money in our community to where it'll build us up, where it'll build our communities up, where it'll build our neighborhoods to where people will desire to live there and the property value can go up. And if we can't get to that, then, hey, man, we, we're set back another 40 or 50 years. How do we change that culture, that stigma? Um, and I've, I've heard it myself through 
listening to other people speak, whether it be the unprofessional or the quality or expensive, how do we change that stigma? We're going to have to uh, sit our younger people down and educate them. We're going to have to start teaching financial classes. We're going to start teaching uh, communication classes. We're going to have to show them what it takes to go in there and walk into a, a business and be able to obtain a contract to where they can employ other, other you know, people to where the money will, will circulate and circulate and circulate. But we've got to sit down with them first because, I hate to say it, but during that crack era, it was really bad because they were looking at that quick dollar and that how quick that money would come in. What year? It, Help us understand what year that was. Uh, that was in the era between the late 1980s and all the way up to, like, currently now, it's still going on. Hmm. So we, we have a long uh, time to try to adjust and see what really happened to us in that era. And now that, that a lot of that money has disappeared, you know, easy come, easy go, we have them to now where there's still time, but some of them haven't been taught, you know, how to work with your hands, how to use your mind, how to use everything you got to blend this one to where you can advance. And they haven't been taught that. And once we can get a hold to that and show them that there's a whole different world out there where you can make an honest living and a good living, then we're stuck in one place. But it's going to take the older generation to really sit them down and show them. But, again, that's the problem, is getting them to sit down and listen. Because hmm. I've had a lot of younger guys, when I go to, you know, trying to put knowledge in within them, they tend to walk away or they don't want to hear it. Let me go this route from a more entrepreneurial or business standpoint. What do we need to do to to thrive and to influence the cohesion you're speaking of? Well, we, what we, we need to do is like, I've, I've been a business owner for many years. I've owned several different businesses and stuff. And I would try to take the younger guys, you know, and show them, hey, learn how to to uh, put wood together with screws. That's the base of it. That's the start of it. And once your knowledge progressed and, and you understand measurements, angles, and different things, you can make a great living off, off of that. But the thing is, try to get them to do it. And I'll sit there and explain it to them and explain it to them. And then the next time I'll be like, hey, you want to go to work? Well, no, they, they don't want to really do that. They'd rather go and hang at the gym, you know. I'll, I'll sit there and explain to them, you know, hey, I, I started out at a young age because I was raised in the South. I was born in Miami, but we moved to Mississippi when I was seven, so we didn't have a choice but to work. So thank God I had a father that, that really put it within us to work, use your hands, learn a trade, learn something that's going to give you an advancement and give you money and stuff. So... I use now a lot of, you know, the dads are in prison or mm. they don't know where the dads are. They didn't have this family figure there to fill that gap with them. And and thank God for great hardworking mothers, you know, that stuck in there and really, you know, 
raise the kids the best you could. But you, it's hard to get a, a young guy to sit down. It's boring to him. You know, he got the iPhone and all that and stuff like that. He's not looking to try to make a living. He's looking at trying to be on TikTok and all this different mess that's a, a distraction from what you really should be doing. So we, we as a whole, we, we got to kind of figure out a way to sit them down and to get them to understand and to get them to learn and to get them educated. That's one thing we touched on in a previous episode was uh, the purpose of a, a father, a man in the house. It comes to accountability, responsibility, uh, work ethic. I'm not saying that uh, mother-ran households don't have those things. It's just in our nature to bring more of that out. Yes, yes. Well, yeah. This this is what I think happened to our people in our communities. You know, back in the seventies, in in well, the late seventies in the eighties, I noticed that you know the Section Eight housing and all that, and, and all the government assistance are really uh, was thrown on on our rates, and we started thinking, oh, free, free, free. $25 for rent and all of we thought that was a great thing but what we really failed to look at though on that contract that they provide they would say the dad can't live in the household <laughs> or you have certain number of members that can be in the household you have to fill out an application and put everybody that's current that's going to live there on the application and they can come any time of day night or whatever and knock on your door and check and see who's in, in the household well, that knocked the black father out of a lot of things. You know, the mom looking at she's getting free rent, she's getting food stamps, she's getting federal aid and all that. She figured that replaces the dad, so she doesn't need a dad. Well, they're not looking at that. That doesn't replace the dad as far as raising the kids. Hmm. When you, when you look at something like that, that's hands on. You've got to be within the household. You've got to be there to get the kids to really understand. And it's a constant job to really make a what 10, 12, 13 year old understand what he's going to face in life and what's the next, you know, obstacle that's going to be thrown at him and how he's going to deal with it. Well, we, we went the freeway, so now look what we have now mass incarceration rate, and then we have a lot of absent black fathers because of this situation. I mean, I'm, I'm testament of it. You know, I, I never met my father, don't even know his name or his face. Um, I think, I think what we need to do is just have those conversations, like you said, and be honest with each other. Say this is what we need to do. This is what we're not gonna do. And you know, when when I see someone sagging, uh, respectfully go to them and I ask them, "Do you need a belt?" Yeah. And if they're willing yeah. to dive more into the the mental aspect of why they're sagging or why they don't have the certain standards of themselves, then we do. It's just holding each other more accountable instead of um, ignoring it or act like you don't see it or being intimidated, frankly, to have those type of conversations. Oh, yes. And, and see, we, we need more guys like you because uh, I'm going to tell you why. I'm 56. When they look at me and I'm trying to give them some advice, the first thing they're going to say, oh, well, he was old back then in the 60s and the 70s. He don't know what he's talking about. Time has changed, you yeah. know. He's back there with the dinosaurs. And when a guy that's in your age range go to speak with them, they're more, they will listen to you more than they would I. So 
you have a greater platform to put in front of them because you can get their attention. Mm. And we need a whole lot of that. You know, like I constantly say the same thing to guys when I see them sagging and wearing their pants down like that. And, and you know, I'd be like, hey, bro, hey, it, you want to look presentable. You don't want to feed into that stereotype that, that we're ignorant, we don't know how to wear our clothes and all this. Don't feed into that. I said, make yourself look presentable. I said, somebody might have a job for you. And they walk up and see you looking decent like that, and they'll, they'll offer it to you. But as long as you're walking around like that, the first thing they're going to think, there's a thug, there's a gangster, there's a criminal. They don't want to have any kind of contact with you. I've, I've even seen younger guys, you know, criticize other guys that wore their pants pulled up. Yeah. They're talking about them, want to call them gay and all this. And, and I'm like, hey, brother, hey, hey, don't, don't, don't ever say that towards your own race. You know, put in perspective where you go up there and, and you want to learn, you know, what is upbringing? Did he have anyone to tell him different? Does he have anyone in his life that's going to, you know, push him forward in trying to make his step look more presentable? And a lot of these guys, when you ask them, they don't have fathers at home. Mm-hmm. If you were able to go and change or alter one significant piece of history, uh, like for instance, um, the war on drugs or Clinton's three strike bill, or what would you adjust? What major thing would you take, would you adjust or, or change? Oh, my brother, I've got so much to say about that. I don't think we have that much time, but I'll go with this. The, the, the Clinton era was a bad era for our people. A lot of people thought that uh, when Bill Clinton became president, that we were really going to get all the opportunities that all the other races got, and which that was a big lie. You had more of our people locked up in the Clinton era than any president in history. I mean, Republicans or whatever. We had more people incarcerated, mass incarceration, uh, was at the ultimate highest during that era. We've got to start paying attention to who we vote for, why we vote for them, and what we're going to ask of them before we vote for them. Hmm. We, we can, it could be 20 of us together. And if two of us say we're going to vote for Clinton because we just like him, I guarantee you over the rest of the half of them going to vote for him because we said that. And we've got to get away from that. We've got to sit there and really pay attention to what that politician can do for us. Not not vote for him because the rest of us like him. And then when we start doing that, we'll, we'll start being able to change a lot of things that happen. But we've got to do it in numbers because strength mm-hmm. comes in numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't... Uh, you divide it over here, you divide it over there, you divide it over there, you divide it over there. You're not going to have the same results, you know? This might be a little bit off the topic, but I'll say this and get back on it. It's just like this, this, uh, these big mega churches that are popping up now. I don't agree with those. You know, you got 5,000, 10,000 members. Okay, when I grew up, I, I was, my parents had us in church every Sunday. I used to sing in the choir when I was a young kid at 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. And we knew our pastor. Our pastor came to our house to visit us. When we had problems or he just wanted to come by and visit the family, he would stop in. 
you can have 5,000 members and you know each and every individual. You, you've got to have that church hand to help support you and your family, and you don't have that. And we as a race, we've gotten away from that. You know, you go to the church now, they got ATM machines in the church and all this. <laughs> That's unheard of. That's crazy. And a lot of our people have pulled their way. But then when you look at who's in charge of the church, it's a business now. It's mm-hmm. a corporation. Yes, it's on the Fortune 500 now. You know, churches are. And when you look at it like that, it, it's really it took a toll on our people because it has taken away the religious support, the, the family support, and all this away from us. So now instead of you having eight, nine, ten mothers to help you raise your kids and look out for you and your kids, you don't have that anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's really bad. So what we're going to have to do is re- try to reverse everything that's been programmed into us. We need to have, start having more neighborhood meetings so you can get to know your neighbor. You know, there's some people that stay next door to each other for 10 years, and they can't even tell you what their last names are. And that's bad. I used to go anywhere in my block when I was, oh, 12 or 13 years old. I could spend the night at any house within my block because my parents knew the other parents. You don't have that anymore. And that that is taking a toll on all of us. You know, we our race was so suppressed and, and, and things were so hard to come by that we relied on our neighbors. We relied on each other. And now you might have some that are or more, you know, have more than we have, you know, have better jobs than we have. And they tend to take their kids across town to other schools to get away from us. And you have a breakdown like that within your community, then you don't have anything solid. So we're going to start getting back to the old-fashioned ways where if you all didn't eat, we help feed you today, tomorrow, whenever you could do better. Hmm. And once we start that, we'll get back on track to trying to mend the things that have been broken down for so many years, but it's going to take a, a lifetime. I won't see it in my lifetime, but we're going to have to start finding ways to pull back together so we'll benefit each other. You know, look at the the, the uh, Tulsa race riots when mm-hmm. that happened. Those communities were together. And look how they went and, and burned them down. But the, a lot of people don't know that they rebuilt after that. And the, the, the final nail in the coffin of that was they built a major highway to bypass it. And when they built that major highway to bypass it, it killed the revenue. Hmm. And it's still suffering right to this day. You, t- you touched on a few topics. Uh, the first one on my address is I read the, I think it's the Black Chronicle here in Oklahoma City. And I went to the business page, maybe one or two pages of you know, different establishments, and I go to the uh, church section, and it's four pages. Yes. I, yeah. In my head, um, I feel the church is uh, is a decent social institution if it's used the right way for collaboration and community cohesion. Um, right now, I see a profitable business that's tax free. That's it. I'm not seeing the vocational classes on a consistent basis you know you have this mansion are you housing homeless are you 
giving life skill classes. Like, what's the, you have a, an estate. What are you doing with it? A great building to use. Uh, well, mm. I, you, you don't have any youth programs within the church anymore. You know, they'll, they'll put a sign up and say, uh, uh, youth conference and all this and keep going on a camping trip and all that. But they, they should have like a day or two set aside to teach classes. Mm. If there's nothing but a financial class, right. yeah, or, or, or a literacy class where you're teaching them how to speak when they go in places, you know, but they don't have all that. And, and the, the church really has gotten away from us. Mm-hmm. You know, you can get more out of a, a little wooden church sitting back off in the woods and has only 20 members than you would one of these churches that got 300 members. Yeah. And, and it's really sad. Uh, now I'll take tip my hat to. I got a buddy. Uh, he and I go way back. Uh, uh, Derek Scooby. He, he's the pastor at Ebenezer Baptist in, in Oklahoma City. And I remember back in the day, when, you know, when he, he wasn't a pastor. You know, we we all lived our lives. But I tip my hat to him because he's having these big giveaways to where he's opening the parking lot and giving away food, appliances, and everything, furniture. If you, you you know, you don't have furniture in your house, you come up there with a voucher and he's doing that. Right. And I, I've gone up there a couple of times, you know, just to go in and see what it's about. And they would have cars lined up the block to come in there. That's my idea of a great church. You know, you don't even have to be a member. Just pull up there if you need it, fill out the voucher, they get everything and get what you need. You pull up, they load it for you, and you pull off. That's what we need. We need help within our communities. You know, because I don't know if a lot of people really recognize it. Have you noticed the growth as far as business and corporations? You, everywhere you look, they're building businesses now. Mm-hmm. They're buying up communities. You know, because I'm in the real estate business and the home remodeling business. And uh, the company that I work for, they buy these three and four and five hundred thousand dollar homes, and I they give me the address, and I go there, and I go there, and there's a whole community there, fifteen, twenty, thirty houses, you know, and I'm looking like ten years ago, this was a wooden field, a vacant lot, mm. and I'm like, okay, where's all this money coming from? Then you look in our community, look at us, the houses are falling down or either boarded up. You know, we got vacant lots with, with grass eight foot tall, and, and we're not, our community is not hardly progressing. I told a, a friend of mine a few years back, maybe about 10 years back, I started noticing when they start paving the roads on Northeast 23rd and putting brick walkways down and all this, I said, they're getting ready to do something over here. I said, we need to start going to the courthouse and looking at what the plans are for the next five, 10, or 15 years and start getting educated about what's moving in and what's going to, you know, take place so we can get a head start like they do. Mm. But you can't get a lot of us to do that. You know, we, we don't we don't want to read. We, we don't want to take the time to do that. But if they're having a car show or the club is opening and uh, free drinks everywhere, we come in numbers. And it's really sad. But... When I noticed that they start doing all of that, I say there's there's going to be some growth here. So look at Northeast 23 now. I don't know if you've written down it recently, but look at all the businesses that are opening. You got a few that's black, 
but most of them are opened by other nationalities. Mm. And that that's the thing. When you get those other nationalities in our communities, they don't employ us. We go and spend our money in there. Our money doesn't circulate within us. It's, it's We spend it there and then it's shipped out mm-hmm. to better their communities and to get them a head start in life because then after they get their store established, here comes another one and they help him. We need to start doing that. Yeah. Instead of passing by a black business, go in there and see how you can help. Go in there and see, you know, how they get started so maybe you can go on another side of town and open the same kind of business, but spend your money within that business. Hmm. And that's the start. That's the cornerstone right there. That's the start. Let's do this. In, in closing, what do you want the youth and young adults of today to understand? What do you want them to take away from today's conversation? Your last words, if you will. Well, this this is my thing. That What I really want them to get understanding it's not going to get any better till we understand what the problem is. And the, our basic problem, and I hate to say it, 80% of it is us. We got to put the guns down. We got to put the drugs down. We got to put down, put this down about, I don't like this one. I don't like that one. I can't stand this. One, I can't stand it. I won't spend my money over there. I won't spend it. We've got to bury all that. We've got to get rid of that and start really sitting these youths down and get them to understand if you build a foundation that will withstand the pressure, you can grow with it. And that's what we're going to have to do. The younger generation is our future. And if we install this within them and get them to understand about what our ancestors or what our, our grandfathers and grandmothers went through to try to better give us a better life and help us so we won't have as hard a time as they did, then once we understand that, we got growth. But it's going to have to start in numbers. We're going to constantly preach it, constantly preach it, constantly preach it. If you're playing a basketball game with them and you sit down and have a little break, start seeing what their plans are in the future. Start Mm -hmm. seeing what do they want out of life. If you're sitting there playing Xbox with them, while you're playing Xbox, start a conversation about growth. Start a conversation about what do you want to do with your life? You know, what what do you enjoy doing? We've got to take every little minute, second, or, or whatever we can do to try to preach this to them and put it in them. But you're going to have to sit them down and really open up to them of, of, about how this world is and how what we've gone through and what we continue to go through for them to break out of it so they won't go through the same thing. But a, a, a good thing about it, though, you have a lot of this younger generation now, they tend to want to be business owners, and that's great. I don't know people, if they say they don't want to go to college, you know that's on them. But I know people have been paying uh, college loans for the last 10, 15, 20 years. If you can bypass that and go right into being an entrepreneur and starting a business, I applaud you. Research it, research it, look into it, Go and, and, and ask questions about it so you can understand it before you get yourself involved with it so you'll know what it takes because it's not going to be easy. But they have got to pull themselves out of the trenches because a lot of black kids, when you when, when you talk to them, the first thing they holler about 
Ain't no job. There's nothing out here for me to do. I, I can't get ahead. Yes, you can. Start your own, you know. Find your business that, that, that can cater to your lifestyle and what you like doing. If it's nothing more than going to the flea market and selling socks. This week you sell socks. Next week you spend that money, you're selling T-shirts. Next week you're selling belts. Next week you build yourself up, you're selling shoes. Start from the bottom and gracefully work yourself to the top. And it's going to start with, you're going to have to do hard work, but you're going to have to have understanding and knowledge about it. And that, that's what I hope they start understanding. And with that, we thank you for joining us on Specificity.